Welcome back to the Common Good Podcast, a conversation at the intersection of remembering, belonging, and place. I'm Rabbi Miriam Terlinchamp, and I'm your host for season three. For this season, we are returning to the relationship between Walter Brueggemann, Peter Block, and John McKnight. And I think what the three of us represent is the communal neighborhood has to figure this out. Their friendship has indeed become a model for us and how the common good shows up in local, tangible, and relational ways. This episode will pick up on the conversation from last week. It begins with Peter talking about wilderness. I really think we're talking about in the wilderness is a quality of aliveness, which is uncertainty, which is surprise, which is place. The other thing you said about place that struck me, Wendell Berry, he says, well, it has a memory. Yeah. So every new development has no memory. Yeah, yeah, that's right. You have to produce memory for this place that you're living. Yeah. I, I once heard uh, Abraham Heschel, you know that name? No. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> give a people? lecture at, at the seminary in Louisville in a new chapel. He got up and he said, I can hardly speak in this building. It's new and these walls have no stories yet. Mm. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. And that's he, a then he proceeded to fill it with stories. stories. That's yeah. why he was invited. Yeah. yeah. I think that's very powerful, just yeah. that sentence. We have no stories yet. It is a form of suffering. You know, the, uh, the surprise is really linked, I think, strongly with uh, strangers. Uh, I, I remember mm-hmm. Illich telling me a story at one time, and he, he said that after Abraham and his group uh, came to believe in one God, they were strangers in their own land, right? No, everybody else believed in multiple gods. And so they had to come to grips with being strangers in their own land. And the way they came to grips with it was that they welcomed strangers. Mm. And he said the reason that they did it was because they'd say, welcome, stranger. You come from over the horizon. What's there? You know a song we've never heard. Would you sing it for us? What's your poetry? Can we hear it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I've always thought, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the danger of our enclosure, <laughs> right, our parochial threat, yeah. is that we don't get the surprise that others have to offer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things I happen to spend a fair amount of time with people who are called developmentally disabled, get this label, and one of the things that, that really is interesting is they looked at as strangers. But if you spend any time at all, right, you begin to see that they have a different window into the world than yours. And what a surprise it is if you let them show you their window, right? Yeah. So it's every human being is a surprise. Right. If you welcome them, yeah. and that's why the welcome is so yeah. so central to to being somebody yeah. of any meaning. Yeah. Wow, I, that's terrific. <laughs> it is. We've let it up to the individual to figure this out, and I think what the three of us represent is the communal the neighborhood has to figure this out. No amount of therapy, no amount of individual training. <laughs> Gandhi was wrong about some things, you know. Be the change you want to see in the world. Well, I want to see the change in the world, and maybe I can be something. <laughs> and I think what 
John is represented most dramatically. Mm -hmm. the, the neighborhood represents is that I can't mm -hmm. be surprised if I'm not in a context of communion. I think the church historically has been a great gift in that direction. I, even now when I go out walking to church, I always feel welcome at the door. And once I go inside and sit down, I'm lonely as hell. <laughs> I'm waiting for the professionals to get to work. <laughs> but at the door. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, we're glad you're here. And I know what they have in mind is a conversion. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't care. Yeah. I'm so desperate, I'll take the welcome. <laughs> but That's it is great. trying to create a collective yeah. something. Because we since Freud we've all gone to you know, Freud's radical was to think another human being was worthy of my spending an hour. <laughs> well, that's true. That was a radical yeah. thought yeah. in 1900. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But now I think we're saying a collective, a communal yeah. gathering, a neighborhood, mm -hmm. is your language for it, is the conditions under which I can be realized. I think charity grows out of an unwillingness to welcome the stranger. It recasts them, not as an enemy, but as a recipient, a client, yeah, right. a, a, a consumer, right. right? You make a distinction between charity and generosity. Perfect. Oh, okay. Say more about that. How do you see that? Well, I, I don't think generosity slots people. Where you describing charity doing? Differentiating nature. Differentiation. Of differentiation of generosity is out of this abundance that I do not doubt. There's enough for me to share this with you. And I want you to have it. Yeah. Comma. And I have the expectation that it will be uh, reciprocal at some point. That's a good idea. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's, That's right. right. Edgar Kahn is, yeah. talks about co-production. Yeah. 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 If I help you, it has to be yeah. in both directions. Reciprocity. Not at the moment. No. But eventually. In my mindset. Yeah. So yeah. a neighborhood is a place where it has a storehouse of generosity and its return and generosity with no expectation of return, and no context where I see you as the lesser. If I see you as broken and I have enough to give to you, it's a funny moment. At this point, Peter shifts the conversation by inviting the intentions of his friends for their work together, which, if you know Peter, is very typical. Inspired by the conversation up to this point and following the lead of Peter, this is a poem by Shel Silverstein. We hope you recognize yourself as an agent in bringing about the common good. It's called Invitation. If you are a dreamer, come in. If you are a dreamer, a wisher, a liar, a hoper, a prayer, a magic bean buyer, if you're a pretender, come sit by the fire. For we have some flax golden tails to spin. Come in, come in. Now back to Peter. I would like to hear from each of you your intentions, in addition to the joy of being together, for a direction we're headed, which you're finding interesting. I'm really preoccupied with the question about whether a local congregation can really face into this stuff. And I have one more meeting in town, but I met with clergy a lot, and I think about, what if I were a pastor? How would I go about this? Mm -hmm. in, a, in a local congregation because it is so hazardous to mm -hmm. talk this way at all. Mm -hmm. But I've been telling clergy, this is urgent and you have to do it. There's nobody else to do it anymore mm -hmm. except the church and its few allies. 
So that's what I think about. Interesting. John and I are doing a, something in the next week or two about the distinction between reform and departure. And can you, as part of an organization, depart yeah. what you inherited, were yeah. hired for? And most of them are trying to reform. That's right. Reform always fails. Yeah. And it's, and it's interesting to me that the church is still your focus. I've tried to seduce you out of that and <laughs> rather unsuccessful. That's my readership. <laughs> but I think the church is a placeholder for the larger culture. Well, I think that's right. That's right. And it's, yep. a, it's a place where uh, possibility has a little better chance. Yep, that's than right. The corporation and yep. the government. And the See, I was just reflecting the other day. It's the only place that I know about in our society where someone gets up and reads from this ancient text, yeah. and the congregation responds, thank you. You know, the minister says the word of the Lord, yes. just so you identify yeah, yeah. the script, and the God. congregation says, thanks be to God. Mm -hmm. Thanks for reading us this ancient then, script. Yeah, okay. <laughs> how, how do you, what does the meaning of that act hold? Well, for, for some very many people it's wrote, and it doesn't mean anything. No, but but if, it, if it means, it means, that the greatest gift the church possesses is this old text. And we get to hear it one more time. If we, if we listen at all, we are reminded that this text contradicts the text I've been living with that's killing me. <laughs> that's a powerful so there's a reason to, to say thanks. Once a week, for a moment. For a moment, I, yeah, yeah, and I, I don't, I, I know most people don't listen at all. No, no, I, because no, no, because many silly. texts you shouldn't thank God for giving. <laughs> <the bad. laughs> yeah, right. So you know that, that's, that's what I think. But that's something to hold on to. I think it something is. I think it is. Yeah. I went to Be, it. because that's that old text scripts sure. most of our thinking thus far about neighborhood and possibility and jubilee and, and it's a call and yeah. it's responding yeah i went to a, a funeral of uh, monica mcgloin <clears throat> sister of the poor so i asked her after going to a poverty conference you chose poverty you know what's mm -hmm. going on and she said yes i did because i knew i had a community mm. that would care for me great yeah. great and she yeah. designed her own funeral service she knew mm -hmm. she was going to die four weeks ago and so Saturday before last I went, and it was in St. Joseph's Catholic Church, and all the imagery was black. Black Jesus, black Madonna, mm -hmm. black sculpture, everything. And she designed this call and response based on what mattered to her. Yeah. She's a professional. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And that was so powerful to be in that room where they had the nerve to give Jesus the skin color that he was born with. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but if you just think about the structure of call and response, mm -hmm. it is it is the acting out of a dialogic relationship, it is. which intimate. which never happens in market ideology. Right. Yeah. No call oh, response. It has yeah. to be trained into the market. That's right. I made a living doing that. That's right. <laughs> Walter, I I have experienced this in a different more secular context and it's powerful that um, one of the two or three best organizations of neighborhood groups is called National People's Action. 
And we did a lot of work with them, and Gail Sincata, its leader, was a real close friend of mine. And every year they would get people from neighborhoods from all over the country to come to Washington for their annual gathering. And a part of it was to invade the offices of some public, <laughs> some secretary of labor about what he was doing, you know. And then they had wonderful joint learnings, but then they had a big dinner at the end of it. And uh, after the dinner, a wonderful guy named Otto Jones, tall, white-haired, African-American guy, would stand up because most of the people that came each year had never been there before, right, in this group. And he would say, now is the time for us to tell you your story. And he told about what this gathering had done over the years and what had come of it and how it had spread. And he said, welcome. I just thought, I am home. You he felt said, that way? Yeah. That he said, you have a story. And we're going to tell it every year. Yep. And it'll have a new chapter. Right. Yep. And it was the most effective, quick way I've ever seen of making people feel community for change. It's, right. uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So if we came here for a reason, for you helping you with this thing you're still focused on, helping clergy, wake up, have courage, whatever, however you say it, yep. about the possibilities of the institution, the surroundings that they care about and are imprisoned by, because all they can think about is the risks, which is very much like slaves in Egypt. <laughs> so, John, if we had a reason to be here, to be here just for your interest, uh, what domain or what kind of uh, words come to mind? Yeah, I think I think more often than anything in the real world <laughs> about what can be done to reinstitute a culture of communality in a neighborhood. I think of that as a journey and as a, a, on the airplane that uh, I wrote what I thought were the elements of the journey to get there. And they are that people need to know why should we leave the individualistic mm -hmm. culture? Why? And the second thing is, if we decide we'll go, how shall we prepare? It's like packing <laughs> to go. <laughs> what do you do to prepare? Right. And then you're going to have to take that journey, and what are you going to learn from the journey in the wilderness, if you right. put it in that and then, will you know from the prior steps how to create a culture of community when you get there, mm -hmm. right? Or maybe you have one already. And then, what is it that will let you know this is home? So that, that's an abstract way of yep. saying what, what interests me, and, and to put it harshly, most neighborhoods are made up of people who live in houses who are not seriously connected. And if we imagine an alternative, in my own mind, the question is, how do you start? Or is it stupid to think you can precipitate something that may be, or can you precipitate something in a church? same question yep. locally. And so 
In, in my own practice, I got three, four things working with people on that are experiments and trying to understand what is it that precipitates people who see no connection seeing the connection. Yep. In the place where they reside. In the place where they are. And it's the, it's the end of tourism <laughs> and utopianism, yeah. where we're going to go to Seneca, New York, <laughs> and we will establish, leave behind, and create a utopian community, which late 1800 is very popular. But I, I like the fact to say, can I pack? Can I prepare? Can I question? Without leaving home. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. The suitcase that will never leave the property line. <laughs> yeah, right. I like that. Right, so we're talking about departing inside the world that you constructed. That's beautiful. What are the three reasons we would give people as to why they'll leave? Why they would sign up for our departure yeah, workshop. Yeah, right. I'm asking, what, what do you think are the three reasons that are most persuasive? Not our reasons, necessarily, right. which may not right. be. Anyway, I don't want to stop it, but well, that, I, that's I'd a question. Take a, take a first try, and that is the, the discovery and the realization that Pharaoh's regime are, cannot make us safe and cannot make us happy. The evidence is abundant. Could you ask me questions about my life that would show No, I'm not interested in your life at all. Of course, that's exactly right. You talk about after 400 years or 399 years and a month, Jews cried out. Yep. And you're asking mm -hmm. what would lead to that cry. That's right. You know, what triggered it in the Exodus narrative is that Pharaoh died. So maybe I'd ask, well, what would have to die to open the place for this? I think, you know, what came to mind was a realization that the middle class is gone forever. Because that's what kept us interested. Yep. I had a notion that I could be up and mobile, my children would be better off than I. Yep. Now, what makes us realize that, I don't know. You know, Pharaoh meant something larger than Pharaoh. That's why you say he was never named. Yeah, right. So right. what did Pharaoh represent for the Jews? Well, I think... If you made it larger than a person. I think what he represented was, was oppression and repression. The, the, the moment they cried out is not the first moment they experienced this. It was the first moment that they dared to bring it to speech because the immediate threat of Pharaoh was gone. Bringing of it to speech is uh, revolutionary. It is revolutionary, yeah. And I think your work with the neighborhood and your work with the ministers is trying to bring to speech. I think that's right, yeah. In The Wizard of Oz, you know, the Oz in The Wizard of Oz was an ounce of gold. Oz. Yeah. ounce. <laughs> and that whole story is once the wizard came out behind the curtain, yeah. yep. she said, ah, oh, shit, I'm going home. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's yeah. a great the gold, story. It was the, time the gold standard. There's a big argument about you know, the cross of gold. Yep. You know, yep. Jennings Bryan was arguing, this guy wrote a right. poetic, artistic thing. Yeah. And so I think the notion of departing mm -hmm. without leaving so to your ministers, I would say the challenge for you is to reimagine what this place is about. And you have a nice clue. You said there is a moment every Sunday when the future is evident to you. 
Yep. You just don't know how important it is. That's right. You're doing it out of habit yep. instead of prophecy. Yep. And yep. how do you depart? That's a powerful, puzzling question. Yep. Without leaving. One Where are you going to go? Yeah. <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. One yeah. thing about the party, as I was thinking about the step, is the, the question of uh, how do we prepare? And all of a sudden, I, I thought of that individually. And then I realized I'm not going to get where I want to get alone. So my preparation really need be collective, just as you know, the Jews went together, yep. learned on the way, yep. and then were prepared. Right. You know, to make a place. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about the work of Walter, Peter, and John, as well as the Common Good Collective at commongood.cc. The Common Good is hosted by Rabbi Miriam Terlinchamp and produced by Joey Taylor with music from Jeff Gorman. See you next week for episode three. And make sure, if Peter ever asks you your intention, that you can resist his seduction. It's interesting to me that the church is still your focus. I've tried to seduce you out of that, <laughs> rather unsuccessful. <laughs>